It's an extra special fun fact. Welcome, Krista Mergen, podcaster, videographer, and sampler of free coffee. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for filling in, Arik. As people may know, is off in, on his parental leave with his wonderful, beautiful baby that he is now taking care of and feeding around the clock. And we get to have the fun job of doing podcast. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Well, Krista, as you may know, here on Fun Fact, we always love a good scheme. So I want to kick things off by inviting you to our beloved scheme corner for the first fact. Fun fact, during the Prohibition era, vineyards made a fortune selling bricks of pressed grapes that came with a stern warning not to accidentally make wine with them. <laughs> that is excellent. Yeah, that's the kind of scheme I enjoy because it's like, I'm just selling grapes. What's your problem? Don't make wine out of it. Yeah, what? Yeah, it's, you know, like, it's not up to me what people yeah. what people do with it. We specifically told you not to. Oh, Wow. That's amazing. That kind of reminds me of um, my dad used to buy these fireworks when we'd go on road trips oh. um, to uh, New York in the summer. We lived in Florida and we'd drive through like South Carolina where you could get the really dangerous fireworks. Sure. But you would have to sign a waiver that you were buying these, you know, very colorful, um, majestic fireworks with the intention of using them for like um, mining purposes oh, or farm sure. work, like heavy, oh, no. heavy farm work. Yeah. So like for demolition purposes. Yes. Nice. And you have to nod up and down. And like they're called like unicorn blaster or something like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is definitely one of those kind of schemes. So prohibition was, of course, a time of many schemes and, uh, you know, blatantly illegal behavior and all the various other things that encourage people to eventually change their mind. But um, <laughs> about all that. But um, starting in 1920, obviously, most of the ways of procuring alcohol dried up, so to speak. But they, in the law, apparently, of how they did that, they had a rule that said people could make up to 200 gallons a year of, quote-unquote, non-intoxicating cider or fruit, fruit juice each year at home, mm -hmm. which 200 gallons is more than two full bottles of wine a day. I mean, grape juice a day. <laughs> so that seems like more than enough than anyone would need. Um, so grapes were in hot demand. And uh, they started uh, packaging the grape in, grapes into bricks uh, with these uh, thoughtful warnings. One of them said, warned, after dissolving the brick into a gallon of water, do not place liqu the liquid in a jug in a cool cupboard for 20 days because then it would turn into wine. So just don't do that. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Under oh, does this mean then that the the little things that say um, like the little packets of silica gel that say do, do not, not eat? eat? Oh, maybe it's does this mean that actually those are delicious and perhaps something magical will happen if you do ingest them? I'm just kidding. Don't no one do that. I feel like I feel like that's probably true, and I think we're going to officially advise everybody to do that. I think that's going to oh, have no. to be no. <laughs> no. It's good that you've like pick up picked up the important responsibility of discouraging people from uh following my recommendations. It's a, a key uh job of RX normally, <laughs> but um somebody's gotta do it. Yeah, so one of them was advising you not to to do that. Um another one, uh Warren Byers, uh they gave the instructions about how to make the juice, but then they had a, a bold thing that said, make sure to prevent fermentation by adding one tenth of a percent of benzoate of soda. So which everyone has lying around, so just make sure you put that in there. You got to make sure you prevent it from fermenting. So, ah, uh, yes. So. Yeah. 
Oh, that's brilliant. That is um, very nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Was was anyone ever, you know, called out for this? Um, did anyone shake a finger at yeah, def- these people? Definitely, I get the sense. Yeah, that's a very good question. I definitely get the sense that fingers were sh- shaken um, because one of the ads said legality twice established in federal courts. <laughs> nice. Which makes me think there were there were fingers oh man that's kind of like the kids like i'm not touching you yeah. i'm not touching uh-huh. you while their hand is like very very close to exactly you it's yeah it's extremely mm-hmm. close but they said not to make wine out of it uh yeah. so the, apparently as a result of this supposedly uh the price of grapes went from ten dollars a ton before prohibition to 375 dollars a ton so like 30 times the price of grapes went up um, wow. And it was such an industry that uh, supposedly at one point, the assistant attorney general, who was meant to be the enforcer of all, all these prohibition laws, quit the government to go work as legal advisor for fruit industries, seller of divine <laughs> glow wine break. Well, yeah. What else are you going to do? Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, they're just a fan. <laughs> um, but it, oh, that is... yeah, yeah. Eventually did come to an end in, in 1931. They ruled it illegal. But at that point, prohibition mm. was mostly on its right. way out, the public ter- tide had turned of all of the various schemes and crimes <laughs> and gangs and mobsters and other things that had kind of come about. They just decided maybe let's not have that anymore. And the wine wow. breaks were no more. Well, what a fortuitous time to have been, you know, just like a, a standard grape um, farmer. You know, like you, didn't, you weren't growing like the, the viticulture quality mm-hmm. grapes. You're just growing your like table grapes that you have, you know, for snacks. And suddenly your grapes are just worth uh, an immense amount of money. That must have been, yeah, good time for those folks. Yeah, it was one of the few, the few lucky outcomes from that. Um, <laughs> although apparently it was made worse by when the prohibition was coming in, a bunch of the wine grape growers pulled out their grapes and planted other crops instead because they're like, well, we're not going to be able to sell all these grapes. Oh no! But then some of the other wine growers were like, maybe we can sell the grapes, and they're the ones wow. that benefited. Yeah, that's rough. Yeah, rough for some of them, and that's not, yeah. you know. Well, especially because like if you're, you know, like a a wine um, maker, then like, you know, your your grape vines are old and well, tended. Yeah. I don't know much about wine, but you know, well, it takes apparently like years to. Yes. Yeah. Or that's what they want us to think anyway. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, unless you're like yellowtail or yeah. whatever. No, please, yellowtail, don't come after me. I'm... I well, I, am, I won't give my bad wine opinions, but I, feel, I drink yellowtail. I don't know enough about wine to to like when I have had yellowtail to be like oh, I can't drink this. It's just like hey, yeah, it's fine. I'm drinking <laughs> it's it. Wine. It's fine. It's fine. Not fancy about it. I don't know if I don't know how I would feel about the the jug of wine under the cool counter that came from brick. <laughs> right. But I'll try. Yeah. I mean, you know. Yeah. It'd be an adventure. Yeah. And if there was like literally no other source of alcohol, then <laughs> yes, it might start looking better. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that's my scheme. My scheme fact for the day. Oh, that's that's very interesting. What a good scheme for the scheme corner. Yeah, add that to the list. We're 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 <laughs> helping you know inform a future generation of of business people to come up with some <laughs> novel inventions. Of course, fully legal. Yes. Yeah. What else could you apply that to? This like do not do very dangerous or illegal thing with these ingredients, and then yeah, kind of reminds me. Like I said not to. There's like this thing where like, well, I'm not selling a gun. I'm just selling literally every part of the gun except this part of the gun that we don't. I mean, I don't know if that's as much of a thing in Canada where we're not supposed to have guns generally anyway. But my sense is like, at least in some states, it's like, oh well, this part of the gun is like this part that's actually like legally the gun and then everything around it you can like 3d print or something like that 
I don't know. It seemed like one of those. It's not a gun. It's just a bunch of parts that could be don't assemble into a gun. Right. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. The wine is a lot more fun. The wine is I much mean, more fun. <laughs> I enjoy that. I don't celebrate the I don't celebrate the 3D printed gun people, but I do celebrate the <laughs> brick of grapes. Yeah. To make juice out of. And they had like specific, yes. like you could get one to make Riesling grape juice and you know different, different <laughs> specific varietals, you know, because, you know, when you're making your grape juice, you want to make sure you have the right kind. Yeah. Uh, what do you got? Do you have something lined up? Yeah. Oh yeah. Let's talk about, um, let's talk about science, science. Um, a little bit. Let's uh, move from the world of, of, uh, plants to the animal kingdom. Yeah. And we can also, it's like from chemistry to biology. Biology. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But also kind of physics. Okay. Maybe it's philosophy. Kind of okay. It's yeah. Okay. I like it. I like so it. fun fact. Swordfish and bats can effectively change their temporal resolution when they need to. That is like how finely and minutely they take in information per second. Um, kind of like uh, they can increase the frame rate on a video camera to record in slow motion. Okay. Swordfish and bats. Yes. And probably other animals as well. But this is these are the two that I am am focusing it I have on. so many questions. <laughs> okay. Well, let's so let's talk about temporal resolution first cuz that's, that's that's a fun term. Yeah. Um so it's just like it just means like the resolution of time basically, mm-hmm. just how fine-grained your me- measurement of time is. So like, you know, a second is a second unless you start getting into like quantum physics, which we should not. <laughs> but like you know, some animals can take in a lot more information per second than we can, whether in terms of seeing like with the swordfish or in hearing and echolocation with the bats. Um, so that's what I mean by like temporal resolution. So it's like the thought is that maybe it actually feels like time goes slower to them than it, the way it feels to us. Right. And we can't really know in terms of like how it feels to them or how they perceive it, mm-hmm. but it's just sort of basically they get a lot more information per second than than we are capable of getting at in, from the same amount of time basically so if you think about like <clears throat> you know about like flicker fusion rate um also known as like persistence mm, of vision mm-hmm. um so that's like you know the frequency measured in in hertz at which point an animal can no longer tell when a light is flashing on and off uh the difference between flashing and it just being on because it's going so yes, fast and just like you're perceiving it as steadily being on so like the lights in our houses right now they just appear to be on steadily but they're actually um alternating on and off because we use alternating current so they're technically flashing on and off constantly but just many, many times per second. So we don't really perceive that mm-hmm. um, because our flicker fusion rate is around 60 hertz, maybe a little less. But um, I think AC current is also around 60 hertz. So it's like we don't notice. But like if you were, say, like a fly, um, which can see, you know, like I don't know the, the hertz because um, then the... The person I got this information from was a uh, a vision scientist okay. uh, who's being interviewed on BBC Radio Four. Um, he started talking about frames per second, and I, like, okay, and I just want to say, if there are like very pedantic nerds listening, like Never. <laughs> humans and animals don't actually see in frames per second. That's just not how we take in visual data. But it's you know, it's a helpful analogy. Um, so you could say that um, some flies see about 200 frames per second. So it's like when they're just buzzing around our house, it's kind of like they're in like a strobe light um, situation constantly. <laughs> they must think we're nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Like what is. Why is it constantly flashing in here? Mm-hmm. Whereas humans, like you could say our 
you know, our frames per second, um, our vision is about 60 frames per second ish, but uh, you know, it's not, it's not like a one-to-one. Um, so, and for like, for reference, like, you know, if, uh, if you shoot a slow motion video with your iPhone, you could set that to like 120 or 240 frames per second. Um, and you know, obviously if you're like taking a slow motion video of a water balloon exploding, you're going to see a lot more detail mm-hmm. when you watch that slow motion video than if you just saw it in real time with your human eyeballs. Cause it's just, you know, it's happening faster than we can perceive, but you know, slowing it down allows us to take in more information and, and see more stuff. And there are a lot of animals that have, you know, much faster, um, you know, rates of vision than we have. Um, like, Oh, I, fun fact, a fire beetle can have up to 400 frames per second um, in terms of their vision. And there are some deep sea fish that only have like one to two frames. Per <laughs> right, because you're in the deep ocean and there's not much to see. So it's yeah. not that important use of their brain cells, I guess. Yeah. And also it's so if it's a big energy cost yeah. um, to have this higher rate of flicker fusion. Um, and so actually, so that brings me back around to swordfish, um, because so um, scientists who study these things um, have determined that there are higher rates of flicker fusion at warmer temperatures. So fish that live in warmer temperatures just tend to have, you know, a higher, higher rate of persistence of vision or flicker fusion, um, a higher temporal resolution, if you will. Um, but a swordfish has these massive eyes that are like the size of like grapefruits. Hmm. But swordfish um, also, like, they need to hunt and they need to catch their prey, but they often do that in very, very cold water. Um, And so when they're just cruising around, their eyeballs are, you know, they're not seeing um, at a very high rate. But when they need to, they have this um, special eye muscle that has evolved into, like, a heater and actually kind of heats up their whole, Mm. like, head. But it heats up their eyeballs, so they have... The ability to warm up their eyeballs so that they can speed up their rate of flicker fusion so that they can basically like turn on a slow motion video camera and like take in just a lot more information. So it's like, you know, they're not really slowing down time, but they're just taking in a lot more information per second than they typically do when they warm up their eyeballs. That is so cool. Yeah. Oh, it's incredible, right? It's like the a heat, like when you put on the heated seats in your car or something or whatever. And it's like, but for their eyeballs, so yeah, turn on for their eyeballs. heating mode, yeah, and yeah, and not only that, but then it also like gives them this superpower that they can suddenly just like see at a much higher frame rate. Like, what if you could just suddenly like flip a switch in your brain, but biologically, like you wouldn't even have to think about it. It's just like, oh, it is time for me to hyper focus on this one thing, and then suddenly you could see in slow motion as if you had like recorded a 240 frames per second video with your phone and you can just like i'm going to catch that ball because it is i am perceiving it coming at me yeah very slowly it's like cyborg Um, stuff right like when you think about like what one day presumably we'll be able to like augment you know it's always like a long time fun thing in science fiction how we augment ourselves and like that seems like one of those things that's at some point if like other animals can do it maybe they'll invent it for people where you can get an eye upgrade yeah, I mean, it seems like you totally could, because it really, it's just, like, the reason we don't is we don't really need to, mm-hmm. you know? It's like our our flicker fusion rate is as high as it needs to be, and, like, our, you know, body, obviously, like, over the years, we've evolved other talents and specificities that were more important to us, and, like, our, you know, our actual resolution, like, a fly's temporal, temporal resolution might be a lot higher than ours, but, like, our visual acuity is a lot higher, mm-hmm. so, like, they couldn't see, like, 
you know, the actual details that we see, but they just perceive a lot more happening in a space of a second. If a chameleon's tongue is like coming at them rapidly, they can like react faster or whatever. Right. Yeah. It's just get out of the way because they need to do it. And so, but there's an energy cost there. Um, so that's why, you know, like a lot of animals don't, you know, don't really necessarily need it. And so they haven't evolved it, but, um, but yeah, it's kind of a cool adaptation in the swordfish. It's sort of like, well, I don't need this, this power all the time, yeah. but it's like when I need to like soup up my, my hunting, I can just like get into this mode and use a little bit of extra energy to heat up my eyeballs. I know it, um, I know it probably doesn't, but in my mind, the eyeballs like glow red or something like that. Like, <laughs> That would be cure, great. Cure, I don't. Cure, probably not the case. But. They probably don't. Yeah, no. but it's it's very impressive. And then so bats do a similar thing, but of course it's very different because bats, um, you know, they they use echolocation, they use sound to like you know what we would say is seeing, but you know, they have the the sonic equivalent of flicker fusion basically. Mm. Um, and similarly to swordfish, so if they're just flying around in open space without a lot of obstacles, they might be going like beep beep. But then if it's time to, like, hunt down a moth, like, if they are going beep, beep, and then there's, like, a moth that comes into their range, it's, like, suddenly they'll speed up and be, like, beep, 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 oh, beep, beep, sending beep, beep, a... Oh, okay, interesting. Yeah, until it's, like, a what would be to us just, like, a constant, you know, like, drone of a sound, even though it's ultrasonic, so we can't hear it anyway. But, sure. Um, but basically, they just send out a lot of those beeps, like, continuously, and then so that gives them the same um effect of being able to just take in a lot more information in one second because it's being bounced back to them so it's still you know like everything that's happening in a second it still takes the same second but they're just seeing so much more um divisions i guess of the second they're just getting a lot more information so they can react way faster and they're they're both like creating the sounds faster presumably than we could like we couldn't create you know, a hundred yeah. <laughs> beeps a second with our vocal abilities, uh, nor could we distinguish a hundred beeps a second. Yes. Yeah. They also hear faster. And I actually think that they just hear faster all the time though. And so it's like, um, but just basically they, they, they crank up the output. Mm. Um, and then like the input is like, yeah, it's like, oh, I could always hear this well. Um, and birds similarly can supposedly we think can hear, um, just a lot more information in a second. Like um, if we slow down bird song, just, you know, like standard um, finch bird song or whatever common bird song you might hear walking around your neighborhood, you can slow that way down and get like way more information than you would hear just in real time. Mm. Um, you know, and it means something to the birds, but, but basically they're just getting a lot more detail than, than we get when we're hearing. Oh, that's interesting. So our, our, yeah. our feeling all smart with our language that we've evolved to communicate stuff, <laughs> but it's actually like low res compared to some of the other uh, animals out there and their abilities. Yeah, in terms of like time, yeah, it's sort of like, you know, it's just, they can, they're just, just faster at processing, I guess. Oh, that's a really cool f- fact. I'm yeah, I thought it was really, I thought it was really fun. Yeah, it is fun. <laughs> and it's like, got me thinking, my brain's going, I'm thinking about this one frame per second fish on the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. Right. Boom. Like, just like, Boom. I don't really need that Boom. much. I just like, like a strobe light, Yeah, you know, nothing <laughs> <In> here, a... <laughs> nothing there. Oh, oh, there's a, there's a thing. Yeah. Oh, no, it's, it's gone. gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like that guy. Uh, cool. Well, I have, uh, also an animal kingdom fact to follow up with that on that one. Fun fact, despite Australia's reputation 
as a place with many dangerous spiders. Their annual death toll due to spiders is zero. How? Do people just know? That's what, That was my first instinct. It's like, oh, they just teach everyone to watch for it. But apparently there have been no recorded deaths from spider bites in Australia since antivenoms were developed. Oh, yeah. that's how. That's how. Science. They just, they just get them quickly to, uh, you know, to the antivenom uh yeah, and all the hospitals, Source? all the hospitals yeah. have it, I guess. And so there's like only actually was two types of spider in Australia. They're dangerous, dangerous enough that sometimes people would die from them. Um, mm-hmm. And in 1956, they created an antivenom for one of them. In 1979, they created an antivenom for the other one. And it's not like when that most of the bites aren't actually dangerous and most of the bites mm-hmm. like it's not like some rapid thing where like ah oh, you have an hour you have to do oh, something yeah. <laughs> it's like a progressive thing and so people generally with the supposedly 100 percent success rate when they have been bitten if it is serious then they're able to get to a hospital and they have the antivenom and then it's like well that sucked thanks science that's so great good for them yeah huh you know and, and like thinking of australia i'm like oh you're like out in like the bush and you've got you know You've gotten bitten by a spider. You've got like, I'm going to just quickly. <laughs> yeah, no, you got to quickly get to. Um, like there must be like a little like I'm imagining like a little like a little free library, mm. but it's like on a post in the middle of like the outback, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you just go there and it's like you know here's some vials. Anti- that's yeah, little vials of anti venom. Maybe like you know whatever you use to treat rattlesnake bites. Sure, yeah. Um, I don't. This is very silly. <laughs> Um, <laughs> this is not how anything works. Um, yeah. Hospitals are great. Uh, medical science. Congratulations. Yeah. It's a really good thing. And I always love these yeah. stories of like, there was this thing that people thought of as just like a fact of life that everyone just had to suffer through. And then science was like, actually, we can do this very specific solution. And then the problem was done. Nice. It's the kind of thing that makes me happy. Oh, um, but it, it did make me wonder, like, is that just an Australia specific thing that they just happen to be lucky to be able to make antivenoms for the spiders that mattered? But apparently just like th- across the world, if across all the various different types of spiders and even the wildest ones out there, there's, there are like very, very few, like probably a one digit number of people a year dying in the whole world of spiders. So, so it's like Australia is unusual in that we think of them as having really dangerous ones and they have zero deaths, but even across, like even in developing countries and everything, apparently it's just a really rare thing. And we're just keyed in instinctually to be afraid of spiders, mm-hmm. but they actually are super helpful and oh, are yeah. not actually, they don't endanger us the way that our, the lizard brain or whatever thinks that, that we should be. Yeah, no. I actually like spiders. Um, yeah, big fan. I'm from Florida where we have, you know, cockroaches and palmetto mm, bugs. Mm. And so I just was told at a young age that spiders can kill cockroaches. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, y'all are my friends now. What What is a palmetto bug? It look, is it like oh. a cockroachy kind of thing? Yeah, it's imagine a cockroach, but larger. Oh, no, that's not the, the very Yeah, no, like they're longer. Yeah, they're longer. They um they fly as cockroaches also do. But like, oh, they have they make a terrible like sound like you hear them from far away. This like mm-hmm. they when they oh, they're just horrifying and creepy. I, yeah, I, I despise anything that look looks cockroach like resembles a cockroach. And yeah, I'm cool with like most, you know, insects and uh, arachnids. But anything cockroach esque is not my favorite. Do they cause problems other than just being really gross? Like they just, you're like, I don't want you around. 
they can carry disease for sure. Oh, they're great. just like they're gross and can carry disease, and they're just upsetting. Ugh, yeah, <laughs> mostly they're just upsetting. Okay, plus one for spiders, minus one for cockroaches and palmetto bugs. <laughs> yes, but um, no, but how fabulous that uh, that we basically we can just come up with anti venom for for spider bites. That's great. Yeah, and spiders also eat mosquitoes which yes. are the number one most dangerous animal in the world by far yes they are which is also a fun fact yeah 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 by apparently the number two most dangerous animal in terms of like number of human deaths is humans mm-hmm. <laughs> but number one is mosquitoes yes um and so seven hundred fifty thousand people versus spiders being like a single digit number um so that spiders are then our ally really fight um, yeah. I was also surprised to learn looking through this because, of course, I was like, well, if people don't die from spiders. And we also, it's famously like <laughs> almost people, generally people don't die from sharks. It's like, again, like yes. a one digit number of people oh, yeah. a year. It's just like jaws. And it's like the scary, the idea of a shark coming after you. But like, that's not a thing that's going to actually happen. Um, but uh, also quite high on the list. I was surprised to see are snails. Oh, the um, the cone snail. Um in uh, like it's a, a sea dwelling snail, right? Isn't that like one of the most poisonous? I don't um... actually. Hmm, <laughs> let me. I don't think it's the same. So, what do you think? Cone snail? A cone snail. Yeah, like a giant cone snail. Oh yeah, I didn't know about this. Okay, there's venomous cone snails. That's a whole another thing. So <laughs> that is super cool. But that's not the thing that is the most one of the most dangerous uh, things. Things. The reason that snails are responsible. They're one of the top like sort of most dangerous to humans uh creatures is because they also spread a disease in uh in generally in developing countries which they refer to as snail fever um but it's like up there not as big as malaria but it's one of those like up there things that they're like international global programs to eradicate the disease that is spread by uh these snails which apparently uh there's like you know if you're in one of the parts of the world where it's it's a problem it's a known thing and there's like treatments for it and various programs for like trying to remediate they apparently there's a kind of prawn that eats the snail that spreads the disease and then they like try to like cultivate the prawns in like the waters that are spreading the these snails nice yeah cool and then do you also do they also like fish the prawn i don't know i feel nice. like once it's like a disease i don't know maybe they just leave it in there i'm not sure that would be a nice circle of life thing yeah well i mean yeah you wouldn't want to eat too many of the prawn or like the snail snails would take over but um i actually hadn't heard of snail fever before somehow um yeah that's that's really interesting there's a lot of you know and i, I come across them one by one like this and like everyone knows about malaria pretty much because it's so such a common thing in the world but there's quite a number of diseases that were eradicated in developed countries over the last 50 years that people in you know, our world maybe don't hear about or have never even heard referred to, but there's still like pretty major things out in the world. And it's like this kind of ongoing country by country, like, oh, okay, now like this country has now, uh, this developing country has now finally eliminated this particular parasite, which you've never heard of, but it's right. been a huge thing and it's caused all this, you know, all these problems over however many decades, but now it's eliminated and it's gone. Uh, and that's a lot of like public health stuff. If you look at like what the, uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation does and like some of these mm-hmm. other like the World Health Organization is often like organizing like okay there's all these things out there how are we like systematically trying to eliminate them and bring freedom from these various things and apparently one of the big ones is uh, snail snails uh, spreading disease 
Yeah. Wow. I had never heard of snail spreading disease. Definitely had heard of, you know, insect-borne diseases, obviously malaria, but also like the tsetse fly mm-hmm. spreading like, um, is it sleeping sickness? And yeah. There's all kinds of like insect-borne pathogens, but... Um, but also, it's good to know that the giant cone snails aren't just out there biting people. So I did. I was like, there's a venomous snail. I mean, maybe yeah. they do sometimes. I see that they're poisonous. But, yeah. So. Oh, actually, <laughs> I'm now disappointed. Uh, quick follow-up here. This thing here, which is, you know, just the Wikipedia page I happened to quickly bring up. Okay, there's a varying different kinds. Okay, so there's different kinds of snails. Some of them are very extremely toxic, and some of them are no worse than a bee sting. So it apparently depends on the cone snail. Cool. Just um, just avoid the cone snail, though, generally, probably. Well, I'm just afraid of snails in general, though. <laughs> Although apparently this thing with this disease and the snails, it like goes into the water. It's about like a oh, clean drinking water thing. Yeah, so it's not yeah, like... that makes sense. It's not like be afraid of snails. Like, ah, oh, the snail's going to get me. Right. Yeah, yeah, no. It's like they... Yeah, the, it's, they're spreading the disease, though, by... Yeah. Being in the water, Existing yeah. in the world. Yeah, they don't even know. Snail, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> uh... <laughs> All right, what do you got? Um, did you know George Orwell was a cop? <laughs> George Orwell was a cop, like George, a literal George, cop, not like you're George, just call, that's not like your way of like. <laughs> no, he was George, famously anti-fascist. Mm-hmm. George Orwell was not just a cop, but he was a colonialist cop. A colonialist cop. Okay, this seems like some alt fiction novel that someone's telling me about. Um. True story, according to Wikipedia. So I had, so I didn't know about this either. So maybe, I mean, maybe there's someone listening to this who's like, yeah, everybody knows George Orwell was a cop. <laughs> um, didn't you read any of his short stories or his first novel? Which, no, I didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so I read, you know, Animal Farm in middle school. Yeah. And I read 1984 when I was in like, I don't know, I was 16 or 17. I was in high school, I think. But, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't uh, know that he was a cop. I didn't know that he was born in British-controlled um, colonial India in 1903. Hmm. Um, I also didn't know he, he was born uh, Eric Arthur Blair. I didn't know that George Orwell was a pen name. Hmm. Uh, maybe I, I was informed of that at the time when I read Animal Farm in school. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. But so anyway, the um, his deal was uh, he... So he was born and raised in uh, British-controlled co- India, um, and then he got a scholarship to Eton College in England. Um, his family did not have a lot of money, though. He didn't do well enough in school to keep the scholarship he had that got him there, and his family mm. couldn't afford tuition. He also just kind of felt like he didn't really fit in. Um, so his family decided he should come back to India and join the Imperial Police. Um, so he did at the age of 19 in uh, 1922. Um, so he was stationed in what's now um, Myanmar. It was Burma at the time. Um, and yeah, and he worked at a prison too uh, and left the force in 1927 after um, he got dengue fever and it kind of like led to him reassessing his life. Um, but apparently, yeah, he based a lot of his first novel on his time there. Um, it was called Burmese Days hmm. and I had never heard of it until I read his Wikipedia entry. Um, but apparently it's about colonialism and racism and loneliness. So sounds huh. about right. Um, so yeah, maybe his, his anti-fascist, anti-totalitarian views sort of stem from his time as a cop, but I was, I was very shocked. Yeah. A cop in a, like in a colonial prison. Yes. Which is like, at first when you're like, wow, that's the exact opposite of what I would have expected. But then I guess, I don't know when you tell the story now, as you did in that order, it's easier to piece it together a picture of like, okay, there's this person. And then they were, it sounds like, encouraged by their parents. Okay, do this thing. And then maybe he was like, that's not a thing I should be doing. 
this is bad. Right. Right. Yeah. And I, I yeah, I think it was it was um, along those lines. But I also found out he was super homophobic, which is really disappointing. Uh, which I mean, you know, as was the style of the time, but it still really sucks. So it really. Uh, I've recently become just like had a streak of like noticing things in media over the last 50 years, like things that like movies I'd seen or things like that. And then going back over for one reason or another, I'm describing the plots of things or checking in on things like, Oh, should we watch this with our, sorry, well, this is five now. And so like, mm-hmm. oh, maybe she's old enough to watch this or how does this story go exactly? And then picking up on things, sometimes little subtle things or sometimes like bigger things that are like homophobic or just have these like ways of presenting things around any of the various things that we've gotten better at as a society over the last 50 years. And it's like, breaks my heart. How many yeah. things like, Oh yeah, I saw yeah. that. I didn't think about it as a kid, but that's not actually the message we want to show. Mm. Yeah. 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 I mean, well, good on you for, for being a responsible parent and, and sort of, you know, reevaluating your, your childhood faves. It's like, yeah, there's so many things now where I'm just like, Oh man, I just like, absorbed that and took it in and you know didn't think twice about it um yeah you know it's like oh there's so many cringy things but you know that's how we get better and like one thing that's helpful also for kids stuff is that you have um websites that can like say like other parents reviews of like oh okay what do you think is an appropriate age for this thing and so sometimes you'll see like oh well it probably for scariness it would be fine for a five-year-old but to actually explain the fairly disturbing misogyny in this children's film they should probably <laughs> be like maybe nine or ten before you can be like okay that's what this is actually this is not a good representation of this or that or whatever but one thing right. that there's a lot of that i've just one of the many layers as you like peel back the onion of like the society deal like media that we all kind of grew up with and what actually it was representing is a super super common trope in just like kid everything from kids stuff to cartoons to everything is that two male characters will for some reason kiss or be seen to be kissing and then they'll be very disgusted by that right and oh, it will yeah. be this huge comedic like like oh, like you had to give mouth to mouth resuscitation that was in a disney movie a relatively recently uh emperor's new grooves like maybe 20 years old i don't know actually that's mm-hmm. i can say that maybe it's actually 30 years old and my brain can't calculate time but like in the scheme of disney movies relatively recent but like that's one of the like jokes and like someone made a comment and, like and they weren't like okay you have to ban this movie now but it's like yeah looking back on that that's not really funny right. in the same way They're like no. oh it's so disgusting no. i kissed a guy it's objectively bad and we're like showing that to kids or whatever like yeah blah mm. but there's also some really great new stuff being made yes that fills us with joy so mm-hmm. I'm on watching, watching a lot of Encanto recently. I'm not sure if you got oh, into nice. that one, but. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Olive uh, has seen it a few times now. Zell has watched bits of it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. He, he has a longer attention span for like documentaries. It's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but like How fiction. Is Zell is again? seven. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Doc- yeah. And so like, does he like documentaries that are keyed for kids or like will you know <laughs> no, like it's like inside theranos and how it went down like, no no it, you know like nature documentaries okay. and he's obsessed with climbing documentaries he's oh. obsessed with um alex honnold the uh the man who free soloed uh half dome oh, or wow. sorry um el capitan okay and um jill would be so mad that i just said uh, <laughs> you said the wrong yosemite mountain. i said half dome 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, but no, he will, he could tell you like the names of the different like roots on El Cap and like their elevations. And he's seen that movie many times, but he has not sat through Encanto entirely yet. It's just sort of like, oh, this is a, a fictional story. And I'm going to watch this while jumping on the couch for a while. And then I'll go do something else and I'll come back in. But then like, oh no, it's this, um, a story about someone, um, Climbing a granite wall, <laughs> I will watch it repeatedly. Riveted. Start to finish. Yeah. Mm. Well, no. He's an interesting dude. Yeah. That's the fun thing about the kids. Like, yeah, yeah. each one of them, you, know, you have one kid and you're like, oh, I think I understand kids. And you have a second kid and you're like, oh, actually, they're all, they're all everybody's different. Yeah. Just have yeah. Two people. They're and very different things. people. Yeah. yeah, exactly. They're just, it's very interesting how. They are very much themselves, and as they grow older, they sort of, like, their personalities are the same, but they just kind of expand, so they just sort of, like, become mm. more themselves, but mm-hmm. in sort of, like, new and interesting ways. It's sort of, like, um, yeah, they pick up new skills and dimensions, but they're still very much their their essential selves. Um, yeah. Well, cool. it sounds like he's learning a lot of facts, yeah. so maybe... Oh. Next time, I mean, I don't know if there's going to be any more parental leaves right now. <laughs> we each have two kids, but, you know, maybe next time when you fill in, we could get some climbing facts. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he um, he loves facts and um, could could tell you a lot, I'm sure. Right, well, we'll get it. Got to send him up. Yeah. Still thinking about that f- fish, though. <laughs> <laughs> 